please open to Proverbs chapter 4. There's many gifts that um, God's given us in this life. There's many gifts that God's given us as believers in Jesus Christ. And the chief gift we know above all is Christ himself. Christ himself is that gift. And yet, all of God's word is our counsel. The entire scriptures are given to us for our profit. Um, And so these words aren't speaking specifically about Jesus Christ, although he is our life. He is the substance of our hope. But they speak to us about two sources of life that God has given us. Two sources of life that we need to pay attention to for to walk in faithfulness in this life. Those sources of life are the scriptures, the life-giving word of God, but also your own heart. And we'll talk about in what sense I'm, I'm uh, using that phrase, source of life for your heart. Because if you know your heart well, if you know the scripture's teaching about your heart well, you know that it is uh, prone to deception. It is not itself life-giving. But it is a source of life that you must pay attention to. What happens when something vital becomes something deadly? It's a good question. Most of you, I'm sure, remember hearing about the Flint water crisis um, just across the state, 2014 to 2016. Before it happened, the city of Flint declared a financial emergency, so I was looking up some of the backstory of this. They were looking for ways to save money. Their budget wasn't going well. And one way was to just build a new pipeline to save cost on delivering water from Lake Huron. So instead of getting it through the Detroit, they wanted to build a pipeline to get it th- directly from Lake Huron. But as that pipeline was getting built, they made the switch from Detroit to get their water from the Flint River. And so historically, that's the switch in that, in that episode, in that time, in that city's um, history. That's the switch from turning something vital, something life-giving, to something deadly. Obviously, just talking about source of water. Within a few months of the switch, an outbreak of pneumonia began among several people, a large portion of the, not, maybe not a large portion, but definitely a portion of the, the citizenship. A study showed that an increased number of children had high levels of lead in their blood, all coming from what they found out to be the tap water. General Motors, and I found this fact particularly interesting, General Motors truck assembly even stopped using Flint tap water because engine parts were corroding. That's how bad the water was. Engines, metallic pieces of engine would corrode under that tap water. It became obvious to many that their source was corrupted. When something vital becomes something deadly, it's a crisis. And there's something similar we can say about spiritual life in a believer. We have certain sources of life that if they get corrupted or even if they're incorruptible like the word of God, if they get ignored, if they don't get cut straight, it will lead to spiritual deadliness. So that's what we want to talk about this morning. The sources of life that God has given you in the Christian life. So that if you attend to them, if you keep watch over them, if you're careful to guard them, pay attention to them, focus on them, then it will lead to spiritual prosperity and spiritual stability. So that's where we're going this morning. So in Proverbs chapter 4, we'll be starting in verse 20. I want to show you Two sources of life that demand your attention. Two sources of life that that demand your attention so that you will have spiritual prosperity and stability. Source number one is the life-giving word. 
The life-giving word demands your attention. That's verses 20 through 22, so read along with me. My son, give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Do not let them depart from your sight. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to all their body. These verses begin our life-giving word as the source of spiritual life with a father's plea. Look right there at the beginning. My son, give attention to my words. This section of Proverbs is introductory. It's an introductory plea for Solomon. This is written to his children, his sons, to heed wisdom. If you looked at chapter 10, verse 1, I'm not asking you to right now, but you'll see a kind of title. It says, the Proverbs of Solomon. So that tells us textually that that's where there's a break in the book. There's a title in chapter 10, verse 1, the Proverbs of Solomon. But starting from chapter 1, verse 8, all the way up through chapter 9, we see this repetition of this introductory kind of beckoning. My son, my son. And even if you start in chapter 3, you can see this. So look back in chapter 3, verse 1. My son, do not forget my teaching. Look down at verse 11 of chapter 3. My son, do not reject the discipline of the Lord. Down at verse 21 of chapter 3. My son, let them not vanish from your sight. Verse 1 of chapter 4. Hear, O sons, this instruction of a father. And then in verse 10. Hear, my son, and accept my sayings. One commentator puts it this way back in chapter 4, verse 20 to our text this morning. The emphasis here is on the love of a father that causes him to plead with his son to stay in the right way. These words are not just words like an instruction manual. These aren't just words of like a, a how to assemble your vacuum cleaner. These, these words are the expression of a love of a father to his children. And if you're a believer with parents who have brought you up in the faith, if you're a believer with parents who have um, shown you the scriptures from a young age, you know that this is, a, this is a treasured sort of thing. There's a real sense in which just scriptures come to you as an inheritance from your parents. This was the faith they proclaimed, and this is the faith you pass on. But we know we're not Israel. We're new covenant believers in the church, and so there's no guarantee that we have believing parents. So even if you don't have parents who are believers, or if you didn't grow up with the scriptures as your kind of inheritance, similar to Solomon's sons, there is a sense in which these scriptures come to you as a son or as a daughter. This is your inheritance from God. Ecclesiastes 12, 11, let me just read these for you. It says, the words of wise men are like goads, and masters of these collections are like well-driven nails. But what I want to zoom in is on this last phrase of that verse. Where do these scriptures come from? Where do these wise words come from? They are given by one shepherd. And that's a capital S, shepherd. So if we're looking at these verses, starting in verse 20 in Proverbs 4, my son, give attention to my words. This isn't just the, the words of Solomon speaking to his son. This is the words of God. This is the dual authorship of Scripture. Every word in Scripture was written by men as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It's, this, it's one word, but with two authors. The meaning's the same, but there's two authors. It comes through a man, 
And yet God, the Holy Spirit, is writing these words. And so I just want to focus on that right now to say that um, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, these words, even though you're not physically related to Solomon <laughs> as your father or your great-grandfather, these words are your spiritual inheritance. These are given for you from your father who is in heaven. So what are, we, uh, what are we supposed to do with this word? It says in verse 20, we're supposed to focus on the word. This is attainable truth. This is verbal truth. Give attention to my words. Give attention to my sayings. I want to zoom in on words and sayings for you right now. How do we relate to God's wisdom? It's something verbal. It's something we listen to. If I want to say it from the opposite, in other words, you can't find God's truth in a sunset. You can't find God's truth by looking your beloved in the eyes, right? You can't find God's truth simply by living a long time. Just because you're old with white hair and you're 60 and you've lived long years, that does not make you a wise man or a wise woman. Wisdom comes from words, God's words. And that's what we're focusing on here. Listen to the kind of posture we're called to have toward this word. It says, give attention. Incline your ear. This is the language of being in a class. So if I were to say it on another way, we're not on a search. <laughs> we're not on a journey. We're not on a scavenger hunt. We're actually in a class. God's not telling us to go across the sea to find wisdom. He's given us wisdom right here. God's not telling us to go ascend into heaven to find wisdom. He's brought it down. Pay attention to my words given to you right in front of your face. Or if you, these are spoken to you from Solomon, pay attention to these words I'm speaking to you. It's right in your ear. I'm making it so easy. I'm presenting it to you on a platter. These are my words, so pay attention. There's something similar about this in Deuteronomy. When, when Moses gave the law to Israel, he made this same kind of argument, the same kind of point about saying, this is why you should keep these words of this law because they're not far away, they're near. They're not ununderstandable, they're understandable, if ununderstandable is a word. Deuteronomy 30, for this commandment which I command you today is not too difficult for you. And I would clarify that what he means by that is it's not too difficult for you to understand, nor is it out of reach. You see that language? It's not in heaven that you should say, who will go up to heaven for us to get it for us and make us hear it that we may observe it. Nor is it beyond the sea that you should say, who will cross the sea for us to get it for us and make us hear it that you may observe it. But here's the point. This is what he says. The word is very near you. This is a word that you can't say, I didn't know it. But from the uh, uh, more positive direction, this isn't a word that you say, ah, I can't find truth. If that's the craving of your heart, well, take heart. This word is given to you. Give attention to my words. Incline your ear to my sayings. Why? Because they're near. They're right in your hands. They're right before your eyes. Verse 21 tells us how to pay attention to God's word, and it's to do so continually. Do not let them depart from your sight, if you look down with me. Keep them in the midst of your heart. See, Solomon knows distractions in this world will come. Solomon knows that our minds grow dull, and sometimes the word bounces off of them, if you've ever had that experience. And that's why he says, 
You need to be intentional. Do not let these words depart. There's a role you play in this. It's not you read the text and it didn't mean anything to you, so you set it aside and move on to something else. You need to not let it depart. Keep them in the midst of your heart. There's so many body parts that he associates with this, right? So even in, in the first verse, 20, incline your ear. So there's, there's an effort. You have to incline your ear. Um, do not let them depart from your sight. There's, there's, a, there's something that you shouldn't take casually. You have to exercise your, your, the bo- the, your body, your, your whole person, in order to continually be in this word. And the goal is for them, ultimately, like it says, to be in our heart, right in the middle of it. We'll get more of this in the next section, but for now, that heart that, in, that is in you, not, not the physical organ, but that spiritual heart that animates your body, that defines what your soul is, most essentially, that's that vital place within you. Part of the wisdom of this passage, part of the wisdom of this passage is that Solomon knows that you can't focus on a million things at a time. Solomon knows that there's distractions in this world. That part of the temptation of this world is that there's shiny things, good-looking things, attractive things that simply distract you. And part of the wisdom of this is a reminder to don't get distracted. Don't think of this word as dry. Just because... Sorry. Just because it it doesn't do anything for you in the moment doesn't mean that you should just cast it aside. That's what he's saying. You can't pursue God's truth with your whole heart and pursue other philosophies with your whole heart. You can't pursue God's truth with your whole heart and pursue other loves with your whole heart. Your heart is limited. And part of the wisdom here is that you just, you have, to, you have to submit to that fact and realize that, pay attention to this word. And we'll get to the reason now. <laughs> the benefit of listening to this word, of taking that, uh, that step, making that effort to cast aside distractions, to focus on the word, is look at verse 22. They are life to those who find them. They are life to those who find them. This is talking about the nature of Scripture. There's deep doctrine here. The words are life. We know that about food. (laughs) We know that I eat food because I need it to sustain me. But do you think about that about God's word? Do you think that there's there's really a spiritual impartation that happens when you consume that word, when you meditate on it day and night? Do you know that it gives life? Or have you bought the lie that Life consists of possessions. Have you bought the lie that life consists of experiences? Or have you experienced the reality that God's word truly does give spiritual life? One song puts it this way. I don't know if there's any Michael W. Smith fans in here, but um, holy words long preserved for our walk in this world. They resound with God's own heart. Oh, let the ancient words impart. But impart what? And he gets to the same point of this passage. He says, these are words of life. These are words of hope. If you're a student and summer's coming up, you need to understand, summer itself is not life-giving. 
Relationships themselves are not life-giving. You might get married in just a few months. You might be dating and getting ready to prepare for marriage. Those relationships themselves, rich as they are, gift as they are in this creation that God has made, they themselves are not life-giving. The writer of Ecclesiastes says, all is vanity under the sun. But what you need to understand is that this word is able to give you spiritual life in the midst of those things. So that no matter what happens, you have a, you have a vital source that you're chewing on. No matter what happens, you have life that's being ingested spiritually and giving you life no matter what happens. The real fullness of your life comes by the word of God. And how serious is Solomon about this? How serious is Solomon about pressing into the fact that the very verbal words that you read in scripture, the words you hear if scripture is read out loud, the words you read if you read it in your devotions, how life-giving is it? It has bodily effects. Verse 22, they are life to those who find him and health to all their body. And we need to be careful here. God's word does not guarantee physical healing from physical disease. That's not what this is saying. It says God's word is health to all their body. But what, is, what, is, what does the word do? The word deals with spiritual issues. The word focuses on those spiritual issues, those sins, those, um, those falsehood, those lies that need to get reoriented, those places in your life that are separate from God's design and need to get readjusted. It imparts spiritual life into all those things. But what I do want to say is, and what it seems to be saying here, they are health to all their body, is that sometimes, not every time, there's physical effects to spiritual problems. Is that not true? If you want to turn with me to Psalm 32 just briefly, I think there's a good, there's a good illustration of this. Psalm 32. Starting in verse 3, when I read this, listen for how sometimes spiritual issues, things like unconfessed sin, unrepentant hearts, harbored lusts, things that should be kept in the dark, or should not be kept in the dark, but brought into the light, but things that you want to keep into the dark, how it had a physical effect on David's spirit and his body. I should move that. Psalm 32, look at w- with me at verse 3. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away. Through groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the heat, the fever heat of summer. Did you hear that? There was a sense in which David could say, I'm suppressing the sin. I'm refusing to repent. And the chastening hand of God is bringing a bodily suffering. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, where you're just slow. (laughs) The energy's drained away. And you think, oh, maybe I'm just not getting enough vitamin D. Oh, maybe I'm just not getting enough vitamin C. Oh, maybe I just need to spend more time in the sun. And that could all be true. That could all be true. There are bodily effects of bodily problems. It could be organic. It could be something that a medical care uh, practitioner could take care of. But that's not always true. Sometimes your bodily difficulty, sometimes your bodily pain, 
right, is coming from a spiritual issue. And that's what Paul says here, or not Paul, uh, Solomon says here in Proverbs. So what did, what did David do? Back to Proverbs, Proverbs 4. David repented. He confessed his sin. And then, I believe, verse, 20, uh, verse 22 of Proverbs 4 came true for him. The word of God was health to all his body. There's a trend to limit the authority of God's word to just spiritual matters. There's a trend to say, I trust my doctor for the physical stuff, my psychologist for the mental stuff, and my pastor for the spiritual stuff. Now, I'm not denying the, of, of course, I'm not denying the, the need for a doctor. But the point that I'm trying to communicate from this text is this. Sometimes that physical stuff, sometimes that mental stuff has a spiritual problem. It's not always just physical. It's not always just mental. Whenever God's word comes to bear on things like the goodness of his design and creation, whenever God's word comes to bear on the goodness of his truth for your emotions, for your heart, and for your mind, you need to believe that this word gives life always. So what are some implications for this? Give attention to God's word with your whole self because God's word can give spiritual life to your whole self. Why would you not spend all of your time going for the source that can give you life? Just to go back to that analogy from Flint. If your tap water was poisoned, you wouldn't treat it casually. You wouldn't say, oh, I guess that's just the way it's going to be. No, you would, you would figure out how to get clean water to yourself and to your family. But some of us, and I speak from personal experience at certain points in all of our lives, some of us, all of us, we're content with that spiritually. There's poison coming out the faucet, and we're okay with it. There's poison coming to us in the forms of uh, a false teaching or um, ideas that uh, tickle our flesh, right? Things that we want to hear but um, detract us from the truth of God's word, and we're okay with that. But no, this word is telling us, Proverbs is telling us, pay attention to my words, because only they can give you life. Cut out those distractions. Cut out those poisonous beliefs that give spiritual death and give life and go to the thing that gives life. So that's number one, okay? That's the first life source. The second life source is your own heart. Read with me from verse 23 to the end, or verse 23 to verse 27, chapter four. Watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. And put away from you a deceitful mouth, and put devious speech far from you. Let your eyes look directly ahead, let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. Watch the path of your feet, and all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right nor to the left. Turn your foot from evil. The second portion is the life-forming heart demands your attention. The life-forming heart demands your attention. This is speaking about life not as spiritual prosperity, but life as the experience you live. Your life, the thing you're called to steward. Watch over has the idea of guarding, overseeing, protecting. The attention Solomon calls us to give the word is not one of, uh, the word isn't one of protection. You're not necessarily called um, in these verses to protect the Bible, right? 
You're supposed to get life from the Bible, to attend to it as a student, get life from it. That's the attention you give to the Bible from these verses. But that's, the, that's a bit different from what he's saying, give attention to your heart. You're not supposed to focus on your heart to get life from your heart. You're supposed to guard your heart, watch over your heart, attend to your heart as a watchman watches over the city. Does that make sense? Receive the word, but guard your heart. That's the difference. Take care about what goes into your heart and comes out of your heart, just as you would take care about what goes into your body. Keep tabs on the spiritual symptoms of your heart. What's, what's going on in there? Just as you would keep tabs on how your body is doing. Why? Well, verse 23, second half. For from it flow the springs of life. It doesn't mean, again, that spiritual blessing and prosperity naturally flows from your heart. Indwelling sin lives there. This is a different kind of life source. Our heart determines our manner of life. The manner of life that you live ultimately comes from one source, your heart. In that sense, you are responsible for the words you say, the gaze that you cast to the world around you, and the path that you walk. The spiritual source for that is you. Your heart is the source of your life. If the wellspring of your life is filled with God's word, then you will live a life of spiritual growth. If the wellspring of your life is filled with um, sin and wickedness, then you will live a life of spiritual deadliness. The heart is the mission control center of the whole human person. Listen to some of these verses that even Jesus himself explains, and I'm sure some of this teaching will sound familiar. Jesus says, the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. So he's saying, it's not about necessarily the words that come out of your mouth, though that's evil enough. But let's think, connect the dots, think deeper. It's what was coming out of your heart that was the issue. Luke 6, 45, the good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is, ev- what is good, and the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. Why? For the mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. The heart is that source. If your main focus is on your heart and you're doing well to guard your heart, to take care about your heart, then the rest of your life, spiritually speaking, will be doing just fine. It'll be doing good. The outworking of this guarded, protected heart is verses 24 through the end. That's why he starts to go into these specific areas of your life. What does it look like to give attention to our heart? Starting in verse 24, Solomon gives us a few areas of our life to help us keep that spiritual tabs on our heart, to help us guard our heart. One area is our speech, he says in verse, 25, or verse 24. Put away from you a deceitful mouth and put devious speech far from you. Attention to your heart includes attention to the sin that leads to destructive speech. Now, I'm not sure that anyone's planning to rob a bank in this room. I'm not sure that anyone is uh, sitting up at night working on the blueprints for some grand heist. But the words devious and the words um, deceitful don't necessarily just refer to some schemer. It refers to simply departing from the standard. You could say crooked speech. Do you speak crooked? Do you speak crooked? That's the question. 
do you speak in such a way that um, it departs from building up those who hear you? That's the question. Just specifically, what, what do I believe about this person that I would say something so rude to them? So you're connecting the dots. There's a crooked speech, but what do I believe about them in my heart? You're guarding your heart. What kind of lusts in my heart would lead me to joke about sexual sin like that? Crooked speech, connect the dots back to your heart, guard your heart. Identify the root and then put, like he says here, put that speech far away from you. Put it far away from you. Another area is our gaze. Let your eyes look directly ahead of you, he says. Let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. And have you ever thought about this? How, how your gaze betrays what's going on in your heart. The easiest example, so we'll start off with it, is, uh, is lust, sexual sin. Oftentimes what causes you to turn your head to linger in looking, it's the passions of your heart. When you linger too long on an Instagram photo, it's not a problem with your gaze, the problem's in your heart. When you take not just a double take or a triple take or a quadruple take, but whatever the five word is, when you take that five take at that attractive person who walks by, that's not a problem with your gaze. That's a problem with your heart. But what is he saying? Let your eyes look directly ahead of you. Let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. But it's not just lust. It's also anger. Have you ever had the experience? You're driving along just fine. Someone... And oftentimes, it's a, it's a truck. Passes you just so fast on the left. And you just want to look right in that driver's seat. You want to see who's driving there. Or someone's passing you, and you think they're being a little obnoxious. And so you, you just, oh, you, there's such a temptation. You just want to look. You want to see who that is in the driver's seat. What are you doing? You're just looking for that person so you can be mad at them. There's anger in your heart. There's anger in your heart. That's not a problem with your gaze. That's a problem with your heart. But here, very literally, let your gaze be fixed straight ahead. You don't need to look at them. But it's not just anger. It's also covetousness. I drove for FedEx as a part-time job last year for the first year of seminary. But um, it was a wonderful job. I got to gaze at a lot of things, not just brown boxes, but really nice houses. And I don't know if you've ever been to East Grand Rapids, but that's where I delivered it is uh, the wealthier, one of the wealthier parts of Grand Rapids, and the architecture is very nice. Um, and so there were times where I was just gazing and gazing and gazing at these houses all day long, and I started to realize, what's this gaze for? Covetousness was the source of that gaze. My gaze betrayed my heart. And in those moments, when my gaze was betraying my heart, what did I need to do? I needed to heed the words of Solomon. Let your eyes look directly ahead. Let your gaze be fixed straight in front of you. One final area Solomon gives us is our path, verse 25, or verse 26 to the end. We're going to skip over for now the second half of verse 26. That gives the reason of why you should be um, focusing on your heart and guarding your heart. That gives the, the blessing, the result. But we're just going to focus on the first 20, half of 26 and then the twenty-seven. One final area Solomon gives us is our path. And this is really a summary statement for the whole of your life. He says, watch the path of your feet. Everywhere you go in this world had a path to get there. And that's true. Adam and Eve 
They had to take a path to get to the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. David had to take a path to the rooftop where he saw Bathsheba bathing. There's a path that brought him there. And in those moments, Adam and Eve, their eyes were not fixed on their path. David, his eyes was not, were not fixed on their, his path. And certain places for you, I'm sure, certain places for you are more, remind you more of your sins, more of your weaknesses. Places that you simply, maybe other people can go there, but you can't go there. You need to watch the path of your feet every day. Jump to verse 27. The point is, be mindful and choosing about your path. Your focus has to be on your personal faith, your personal obedience, moment by moment. Our path, our walk, is just, it's a metaphor for our whole life. Do not turn to the right, it says, nor to the left. But look down at that final phrase. Turn your foot from evil. God's wisdom, guys, God's wisdom is not just wisdom uh, to win friends, influence people. God's wisdom is not just, oh, if I follow these rules of stewardship in the Proverbs, I'll make a lot of money someday. Um, God's wisdom is more than those things. God's wisdom is a moral wisdom. The concern ultimately with wisdom is salvation and righteousness, not earthly prosperity. It's about spiritual prosperity. This is not obedience for the sake of making other people like us. This is not obedience for the sake of getting a good reputation so that you're known as the guy who's really wise, so that you're known as the girl who's really righteous. This is obedience for the sake of righteousness. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. Therefore, be careful how you walk. See that path, that metaphor? Careful how you walk. That's just the metaphor scripture uses oftentimes to um, talk about your everyday life. Careful how you walk. Not as unwise men, but as wise making the most of your time because the days are evil. That's not to say that, you know, okay, January 3rd, that's an evil day. But the days refers to this period in history when Christ hasn't returned yet, Satan is loosed and wickedness reigns in a lot of ways. The days are evil. These are days are characterized by Wickedness, unrighteousness. So if you're not guarding, if you're not taking that step to guard your heart and you're just going with the flow, well, the flow of these days, according to Ephesians 5, 16, the flow of these days are toward evil. So go with the flow if you want, but know that it ends in destruction. That's what he's saying. Now, before we get to the final result of guarding our hearts, let's just make sure we get the connection. What Solomon seems to be saying here in uh, Proverbs 4 between um, the truth of God's word, the expression uh, of our, our words, our gaze, and our path, and then the disposition of our hearts. In order to do this, you need to learn one skill, dot connecting. You need to learn how to connect the dots. In kindergarten, you learned how to connect the dots really well, but now this is spiritual kindergarten again, people. You need to learn to connect the dots in your life Connect the dots between the truth of the word, the words of your mouth, and then into your heart. What caused me to say that? What caused me to utter that kind of speech? And then you do that heart work. That's how you connect the dots. Connect the dots between the truth of God's word, the gaze of your eyes, and then boop, right there, back again to your chest, metaphorically speaking. 
Um, connect the dots to your heart and then do that heart work. And then uh, the, the path of your life. What caused me to go there? What caused me to walk that way? What caused me to drive past that place? What po- caused me to go to that particular group? Connect the dots between that path back into your own heart and then do that heart work. Guard that heart. That's the point. This is simply discipleship as Paul describes it. Listen in Philippians 4.9 how righteousness, discipleship starts from within, right? He connects the dots starting from within and then it goes and extends to every aspect of his life. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Well, what's the result of all this for this second source of life? What benefit is it to us if we really guard our hearts in this way? End of uh, verse 26 gives the answer. All your ways will be established. All your ways will be established. First, here's what this doesn't mean. This does not mean that if you obey God, you'll get a reward with a special word of knowledge. That tells you exactly what, I guess you're all in college at this point, exactly what college to go to if you're a graduating senior in high school, or exactly what job to get, or exactly what person to marry. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, if I obey enough, then God will give me this special revelation so my life will be easier, and I'll be able to make those decisions. No, what he's saying is this. What he's saying is this. If we are careful every day, to guard our heart, to guard our life. When those days go past and you look back, you will have seen a life that has been established. A stable life. The goal isn't to have unshakable circumstances. The goal is to have an established, unshakable spiritual life in the midst of any circumstances. That's the point. Now, there is a sense, though, in which we can look forward with confidence. I don't want to deny that there's a, there's, a, there's a blessing to being able to say, whatever comes in my life, I know that God will establish me. I'm taking care of my heart. I'm attending to his word. God will establish me and keep me spiritually stable. There is a sense in that. And we'll, uh, our final passage, if you want to turn with me, is to Psalm 92. Psalm 92, verses 12 through 15. These verses talk about a righteous man who's been righteous for a large portion of his life. And the righteous man, the righteous woman, comes to the end of their life in their old age. And what's their life like when they get to old age? What's their life like when the righteous man continues on? Start in verse 12. The righteous man will flourish like the palm tree. He will grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still yield fruit in old age. They shall be full of sap and very green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. You're still going to bear fruit in old age. You're going to have a stable, steadfast life in old age. And if you go and continue down this path of righteousness, as you look back, you will see a path of establishment, of stability, even if there were just unsha- uh, very difficult circumstances, very difficult trials. 
The point isn't to have unshakable circumstances. The point isn't to have perfectly established circumstances, but that no matter what, what your circumstances are, as you look back, you see, I see an established life that I lived. Those circumstances didn't affect my speech. They didn't cause me to go crooked, unestablished. Those circumstances didn't affect my gaze. I was right on Christ the whole time. Those circumstances didn't affect my path. I kept going for the gold. I kept going right for Christ Jesus and that reward when he comes. And that's the kind of established life we're going for. So what are some implications in this? What do we do in response about Solomon's call here to guard our heart as that second source of life? Well, first, don't pretend like your heart does not have a problem. One of the more humorous, but also a little sad, but more humorous anecdotes from that uh, when I was looking into the water crisis, the Flint water crisis, was that in order to dispel the residents' fears, the mayor had actually drank the tap water on television to say, see, it's clean. I'll drink it. Don't do that. Denying the problem does not help the problem. Denying the problem, guys, does not help the problem. Don't drink poison in order to try and prove, force your way to say that there's no issue. Make that spiritual connection. Second, don't even settle for conforming only some areas of your life to the word of God. If the word of God's in my, uh, in my, this particular relationship, that's going to be established relationship. But maybe there's a relationship where I want the word of God far from it. Well, you miss out on the blessing. There's no establishment. There's no spiritual stability in that relationship. There's only spiritual crumbling and spiritual death. If you only conform some of your, the areas of your life to the word of God, that simply means from this text, only some of the areas of your life will be established. Only some of them will be stable. And Solomon doesn't want that for you. God himself doesn't want that for you. Instead, give attention to the word and your heart so that every part of your life is established in God's ways. That's the hope. So let me pray, and then uh, I'll open up for a little bit of questions, and then I have some questions for you, and we can do a little back and forth together for the remainder of our time. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the words of wisdom that you've given to us through Solomon. We thank you that they're not just Solomon's words, but they are your words, uh, not just to Solomon's sons, but as all, uh, to all of your sons and daughters, all those who call in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray that you would bless us, help us to attend to your word as it gives us spiritual life, and help us to guard our heart as uh, the, the formation of our life unfolds in this, in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay. So I do have some questions here um, for you, but just if there's anything wanted clarification on, if there's anything you wanted um, me to give an answer for, so to speak, just wanted to open it up if you had any particular question. Otherwise, the way we'll do it, I'll explain the way we do it after this. Yes. What's your name? Uh, my name is Isaac. Isaac. Nice to meet you. So when you talk about the heart, obviously you're not talking about organs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, that's a good question. The question is, is the heart essentially a synonym for our soul? Um, or is the heart maybe like a portion of our soul that the rest of our body, um, compared to the rest of our body? So I would say the heart most 
most helpfully, uh, the most helpful analogy I've heard is that it's the mission control center of your soul. It's the mission control center of your, of your whole person, body, and soul. Um, and so that it's the, it's the thing that directs your affections. It's the thing that directs your thinking. It's the thing that directs all of you. Um, it's, it directs your actions, your gaze, your words. And so I would say it, it is the, if not a, necessarily a synonym with all those other words in scripture that we um, refer to, like the immaterial part of ourselves, um, it, it, is, it is that chief portion where um, that's the thing that's in control. If there's a problem with us, it's not necessarily a problem with our body. It's a problem with our heart, and it's our problem with our soul, um, at least spiritually speaking. Does that make sense? So just to clarify a little bit more, Scripture does use um, several terms to talk about the soul. So I, I'm a dichotomist. So we are body and soul. The soul, sometimes it gets referred to as the mind. Sometimes it gets referred to as the spirit. Sometimes it gets referred to as the heart. Sometimes it gets referred to it in all these other kinds of words. And those are all, I wouldn't necessarily call them synonyms, but they're all aiming at the same thing. They're all describing that one unseen, invisible part of you. Does that make sense? So I wouldn't necessarily say the heart is a sufficient way of talking about the soul. Otherwise, there wouldn't be uh, other words in scripture used for it. But it is, I think, that, that way that speaks of the heart as that thing in control of your whole life. Without the heart, you don't have life. Thanks. Russ. So can you tell, you mentioned in connecting the dots, you know, our words connected back to, and you referenced doing the hard work. Mm-hmm. Can you expand on what doing that hard work might look like for us? Yeah. Um, thankful you asked that, but also thankful that I recently was looking into Psalm 42, because I think that gives an answer to that question. Psalm 42, if you guys want to turn there. And if you guys can think of other scriptures that come to bear on this, Austin, anyone, I really, I open, open up the floor. Um, if, if you want to raise your hand and say a contributing thought um, that uh, maybe I'm missing something. But Psalm 42 is kind of a textbook example on what, honestly, what David does in all the Psalms. What David does in the Psalms is he takes the experience of his life and he goes through the process of conforming his life to the scriptures. Psalm 42 That famous beginning, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. But jump down to verse 5. Why are you in despair, O my soul? Why have you become disturbed within me? So he's asking himself questions. So part of what it looks like for the psalmist to do that kind of heart work is to get a little bit introspective. Now there's a danger there. We don't want to get totally introspective where we're like, uh, agonizing over every detail of our lives, like, oh, maybe I, you know, picked up that cup not to the glory of God, oh, that sort of thing. It's, don't do that. But there is a sense in which to do that heart work, you have to ask yourself these kinds of questions. I'm experiencing this thing in my heart. There's despair. Why? And you go through that heart work, and you, uh, can, you apply in prayer the words of Scripture to your, to your heart, and that's, that's a tangible way that you can um, ask God to conform you to his word. Does that make sense? Yeah, so one, one practical way just from Psalm 42 is to ask yourself those kinds of questions. Um, a thoughtful life. Yeah. Half of that verse too is, starts commanding his, his heart or something, right? Hold it 
Yes, exactly. Um, yeah, once the problem's identified, Austin was saying that in the second half of verse 5, he starts not listening to his soul, so he got the information he wanted. He asked himself some questions. Why are you in despair, O oh my soul? Then, evidently, maybe there was an answer. Or maybe even if there's not an answer, he knows the solution. He starts preaching to himself. So there's, there's the twofold, there's two sides of the coin to doing that heart work. You ask yourself some questions, and then you preach yourself the truth. Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, the help of his presence. Um, yeah. Martin, I think it was Martin Lloyd-Jones has that famous quote um, about how he, the key for him, for his breakthrough on spiritual depression was he stopped listening to himself and he started preaching to himself. And that was a helpful way for him to articulate what it looks like to do that heart work. So, thanks. That's a really helpful question. Any other questions? Otherwise, I'll ask you some questions. Oh, yeah, sure. Um, so the question was asking to expand what exactly that stability looks like. So if a believer takes these words of wisdom, applies them day after day, and if they look back, they'll see an established life. Right? So the way that I am understanding that is if we go back to Proverbs 4, um, remember that language of when he was, um, well, the, here's, here's the first way that I'll, ex I'll explain it. Um, the first way I want to explain it is just from these, these uh, areas of his life. So the areas of his life that comprise his entire life. So I can't look at my life and say, my life only consists of the things I look at. No, it also consists of the things I say and the things that I do right? And neither does my life con consist of just any one of those things. It consists of all of those things together. So the entirety of my life. Um, there's language of those, um, those areas of your life being not conformed to God's word, being destroyed because they're crooked from God's word. So just the same point from verse 24, put away from you deceitful, a deceitful mouth and put devious speech far away that can be described as simply crooked speech. So if you do this the rest of your life, if you seek to put away crooked speech the rest of your life, when you look back, you'll see straight speech. You'll see an established tongue, a tongue that doesn't struggle as much. The tongue is a fire, James says, but a tongue that doesn't struggle as much with uh, maybe that immaturity and sinfulness that was characterizing it before. Does that make sense? So you have an established tongue. Same thing with your gaze. Um, for a person who struggles with um, looking at sexually illicit content, right? Um, there can seem, that that's crooked. You're departing from the standard. You're taking your gaze off of Christ and you're going crooked with your gaze. So that's an unestablished gaze. But to fight that fight, by the end of your life, you will have an established gaze. By the end of your life, um, if you keep that, that fight going, 
Um, this is, this is, there's a sense in which, okay, I won the battle today. That means when I look back, I can see a straight gaze, right? And the same thing with uh, the path of your feet. But these are just specific, these aren't like exhaustive, but every area of your life, wherever it's crooked, if you work hard today to make it straight, um, if you trust God, I should say, today to make it straight, by the time you get to the end of your life and have a pattern of doing that, you'll have a straight, straight and narrow life. Does that make sense? That's the, and there's blessing in that as well. There's, there's life. Um, so it's not about just kind of like that image of just like, okay, it was like this, now it's like this. But there's an experiential life that comes from living in God's design. Um, so, yes. Mm-hmm. It was more of like in each of the things that happened to him, a lot of which were terrible. Like the Lord was faithful, and he trusted in the Lord's faithfulness. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the you know he was he was he stayed straight despite the bad things that came. Yeah, such that so the illustration for those on the other side of the room was this from the story of Joseph and how in Genesis Joseph went through not. He went through a bit of like physically some crooked circumstances, I guess you could say, unestablished circumstances. He got sold into slavery. He got put in jail. But eventually, he could look back and say that his life was well established because in the midst of those things, there was a spiritual um, righteousness, a spiritual establishment that was being built um, such that we remember Joseph not for primarily the destructive life that encounter, he encountered, but the the established life he lived in the midst of his circumstances. So that's helpful. Thanks, Leah. Okay, so the way we'll do it um, from this point on for just a few minutes, don't think we'll get to all the questions, but I'll give you a question, give you maybe 60 seconds, discuss it amongst your table, and then come back to me, and then we'll, we'll talk about it as a group. That's the way we'll do this. So here's uh, just some questions I thought of, maybe some application from our teaching here in Proverbs. Let's see. I have four. What, which one should I pick? First one, nice and easy. What are some counterfeit life sources that compete with the word of God? So I'll say that again. What are some counterfeit life sources that can oftentimes, for us, in our lives, compete with the word of God? I'll give you 60 seconds and then come back to me. Ready, go. Two, one, and okay. So come back to me. Any table, come to uh, any thoughts. 
I'm sure you all had similar thoughts, but Henry. Oh, sure. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And I, it's, it's interesting how sometimes there's those things in our life where we can say to truly relax, rejuvenate, to use that kind of life-giving language, we'll just go experience the world a little bit, a little bit of worldliness, and that'll get us right back into it. I've been spiritual enough for today. I'll indulge a bit, you know. But we find, I think, oftentimes, like you were saying, that that's not life-giving. Um, so, yeah. And the internet was the specific example. Certain things on the internet. Yes. Oh, yeah, that is helpful. So what you're saying is maybe to use the image of let your eyes look directly ahead, um, how maybe even if there's a podcast, a helpful teaching or something that you listen to, um, that can still not be life-giving in itself because you find yourself gazed upon <laughs> the person, their achievements and their personality and how you think they're the thing that's giving you life rather than the word of God. Um, is that kind of what you're getting at? So, yeah, that's helpful. Thank you. Any other thoughts? And then we'll just do one more question before our time. Let's do one more question. How about this one? And I'll give you another 60 seconds after this. Um, one more. Let's see. What kind of man or woman, spiritually speaking, do you want to be in your later years? So just coming from that image in Psalm 92, where the righteous flourish like the palm tree. Cast the vision, and if you are in your later years, then what kind of, <laughs> what kind of man or woman do you want to be in, ten, in three years or something like that? But what kind of man or woman, <laughs> what kind of man or woman do you want to be by the end of your life? How do you want to be remembered? That's the one. Please... <laughs> Please forgive that last comment. <laughs> 60 seconds, go. Okay, 60 seconds. Come back to me, come back to me. Um, do some tables that haven't chatted with me. Isaac, right? Okay. Oh, yeah, that's great.
Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, what he was saying is that want to be remembered or be the kind of person who can look back and say, I lived a life that wasn't controlled by my emotions, um, controlled by those passions, which often uh, wage war against us. So that's really, that's really good. Any other thoughts? Maybe that back corner, anyone over there? Joe's table. That's good. So is the, so if I heard that correctly, just want to be remembered as someone who was characterized by a knowledge of Christ, who was the somebody. Does that make sense? Okay, cool. That's helpful. Um, any other tables? All right, cool. Well, thanks so much for letting me come uh, be with you today. It was really a joy and a pleasure, and I'm thankful for each one of you. And I'll uh, be praying for you that God would uh, continue to bless Crossroads and Calvary Bible Church and that y'all would grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So thanks, guys.